the number one thing that I wanted was cash flow. So the goal is how do you create the highest cash flowing asset available to dads or investors? Because wealth creation is certainly one good way. Like you can do multifamily syndications, which are great. You know, you get the 2X multiple over a period of five years. But for me to get that time freedom, it's got to be the cash flow. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I know we were just connecting like right before this, um, talking about some different things. So I'm really excited to dive in more because I'm I'm just really pumped about this conversation. You have a message that's very impactful for me right now as we were kind of talking through. So I'm excited as well. But before we get there, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Cookie dough ice cream got hooked on it. Maybe it was because I was eating like the forbidden, like you can't eat the eggs unless they're cooked when I was younger. And so it became like forbidden fruit, but that's, that's it forever. Okay. Have you ever, there's this place here in Nashville that does cookie dough and they call it ice cream, but it's definitely not ice cream. It's like chunks of cookie dough. Have you ever had something like that? You know, whether it's the cherry berries or the DQ or the Sonic or different pieces that kind of have like the pre-cooked or like the raw, like I feel like I've tried it all. So I'm not sure if it's specifically like location dependent, but yeah, just like scoops of cookie dough. Like you could just add it into different things and like, yeah, it's a yeah. kryptonite. Yeah. Cause I, I think like when I had that, it has to be in ice cream for me. I tried the raw cookie dough after about two bites. You're like, I can't eat 10 ounces of this. So you have to throw it in some ice cream, but yeah, big fan of cookie dough over here. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So right now it's two things. It's creating a rent to own fund for investors to buy homes for people that are one to three years away from getting a mortgage and kind of doing some matchmaking. And then number two, which is the more recent um, side project, it's helping working dads that have young kids. Uh, So I got a five, three and one year old. Uh, manage that while trying to do real estate investing on the side, because that's what I did as an engineer, started a family, got married and all these different pressures. And we call it, you're in the thick of it. And so it's just helping dads navigate through that since everything's so front loaded in life. Yeah. Let's, so our listeners know that I like to start where your real estate journey began, but we're going to switch this up a little bit and start and backwards and work ourselves forward. And let's talk about the dad piece. So being in the thick of it, as you call it, with a one, three and five-year-old and real estate investing, like how do you juggle all of that? Let's just start there. I, I think it's I think it starts off with that decision of, okay, I'm working. And you're like, okay, that, that's, that can be honoring your family, right? You're, br- you're bringing in financials, but there's usually that like, there's some sort of tug in your brain. I remember sitting in the office like, oh, when I'm at work, I feel like I might want to be with my kids or I should be designing something where I have more time freedom because I want to show up as a dad. And not only is it my physical time because kids spell love T-I-M-E and all they want is your time. You, you don't really have to show up like great, even though that's, that's awesome. But a lot of times you just sit with them on the floor and they'll jabber and they'll do whatever. And they just want to tickle fight and they want to find this bug and stare at a fly for like four hours. And so like, I realized like, especially transition times in the morning or in the evening after they had daycare or school, like they're just so emotionally spent. And I felt like, okay, it's, it's five o'clock. My wife spent, I'm spent, it's their witching hour. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this just seems like a ball of chaos. And I was like, how, 
like, is there a camera in other people's rooms? Like, is it just an absolute pandemonium where like there's dishes done? There's a mess. You got the one-year-old like hitting the three-year-old and the five-year-olds like running out the front door. And I'm like, this is just insane. Like what, what is happening? And I'm like, I'd love my kids. And like, but I'm like, I, I almost felt like a failure as a dad and a husband. Cause I was like, oh, I'm supposed to provide stability and control and different things. And so a lot of it was like, oh, what would peace look like? Cause like, like, let's all just dream like that for a little bit, but then at the opposite end, okay, what does it just not look like to suck? Okay. Let's make sure I'm not getting divorced. Let's make sure our kids, you know, aren't getting bad habits. And so a lot of it was, how can I just be a lot more intentional with my kids? And it starts with just getting more time freedom and being, and organizing that, which was a big impetus for doing a side hustle, which happened to be, you know, real estate investing, because I just, I really wanted to spend a lot more time with them on, you know, just making sure that investing that time when they're one to five, like how much subliminal programming goes on there that I'm just not even conscious about. That's like, Ooh, I do that just like a house. I buy it now, 30 years later, it's worth, you know, no debt and $2 million. You put that same investment in your kid at five. And when they're 30, like the same kind of ROI, but maybe not in the direct realm really hit me as I was, you know, sitting in the civil engineering office. I was like, Oh, I, I got to do something else. Cause my kids might thrive when I do nothing. And it's kind of like the sink or swim. Like you hear the stories of like people just like, yeah, I, you know, I had a bad parent and like somehow I survived and it's like, okay, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But there's also for every one of those, there's 10 stories of like, oh, I had an awesome dad who was there nurturing me, watching the baseball games. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm going to gamble on that one. Yeah. You said a lot of things I want to touch on there. First of all, is this idea of intentionality. So I'm in the process of editing my book right now. And a core concept in the book is ROI. And ROI doesn't mean return on investment. It means return on intentionality. And I think it's very, very important. And why I got involved in real estate is for the time freedom that you just mentioned so that I could be more intentional with my habits, with my passions, with my family, with the people that I care about and things like that. The second thing you mentioned was this idea of a subconscious and developing that subconscious. Some of the studies I've read is that a kid's subconscious develops by the age they're seven and the internal monologue you give them and talk to them and how you speak to them and what you tell them about themselves is the things that they're going to carry forward. So on that, do you all have any like life mottos or kid mottos that you repeat to your kids over and over to help them build that self-image, self-confidence in themselves? I stole this from another front row dad member and he calls it rules for life. So we have our Zoc family rules for life. What's the most important thing in life? And it's to get to heaven. Okay. How do you get to heaven? You love God. You love your neighbor. Okay. What's love? Love is an action. Who is God? God is father, the son, Holy spirit. What's the second most important thing? Free will. And so it's me going question them answer a three-year-old, five-year-old. It's amazing what they can memorize. And so we have a, we have like a full page of like, what are those different life lessons that even if they don't understand it, they're just like, they're answering mm -hmm. it. So if somebody asks them, what's the most important thing, or like, you know, what's the secret to success, long-term gain over short-term pain, like they're, they're going to, they're going to um, emulate that. And then recently I, I asked my daughter, okay, what are your rules for life? These, these are our Zoc family rules. So Adam Zoc, like these are the Zoc family rules and different things, but what are yours? And then having her come up with some, and then we print them up, we put them on the wall. And then I asked her different questions. And like, even though I'm like shaping the environment, I can't change the kid. Like I could put it, I could put a lion in a house, but the lion's still going to tear the hell out of it. But like, I'm trying to shape the environment for our kids to thrive in a way that I think will benefit them. But if they eventually push back or they don't accept our values, like more power to them because they're each going to have their own individuals. So then we have our own individual values and rules that are combining into the, Hey, here's what our parents thought. Here's what our grandparents thought of like faith, family, fitness, 
you know, being some of their core values that they want to pass on. Now we can either accept those or reject those. Um, but I stole that from some other dads and like that, that was a really cool thing of just like someone indoctrinating them, but like they learn about Martin Luther Kay and it, you know, all these other stuff that they're memorizing, why not have kind of the, the, the home life value things that I really want them to memorize way more than any letters or shapes or alphabets or different things. Um, because I feel like that's my role as the dad, like mom's like, okay, yeah, make sure they get a good school. I want them to re read and write, but like dad's like, all right, well, when push comes to shove, what are your, what are your kind of your life principles that you're going to operate by? And I feel like that's my role to, to enforce some of those. What out of curiosity, what were her rules? Do you remember some of them off the top of your head? Yeah, we got them all printed off. Her her number her number one was be kind. Number two was be healthy. Number three was love God, love your neighbor. Number four is love is an action. Number five was be careful. And I almost tried to convince her about that because that's my wife. Like her number three value is security. And I was I caught myself because I was like, be careful. I was like, I don't, I don't, you know, we don't value that. But like again, that's me imposing that. But my daughter, super careful. Like, and that's what she, that's what she values um right now. Um, and then number six was escaping me. I'll, I'll remember, but like I specifically remember like catching myself like, oh, I'm going to coax her like, nope, these are her values right now. And they might change. Um, but it was really cool to have her with no prompting, like, and it might change tomorrow, right. With a, with a five-year-old, but like, <laughs> it was cool. Cause then she went on there, she picked the fonts that she wanted on her Ava's rules for life. Numbers were green and the letters were purple and her name was pink. And it was like, all right. And then you print it off and you show it to her. And then now she can slowly start to read. So every now and then I'll just pick it up and be like, Hey, what were your rules? And then she's now internalizing this. And I'm like, oh man, this is so cool. Cause like now it's not just the Zoc family rules for life. These are her rules for life that she picked with mm -hmm. some encouragement. And, you know, there might be 13 and she might just rip up the piece of paper and be like, oh, I have all new rules for life. And it's the complete opposite. But I'm hoping that the foundation of that is enforcing that for the future. Yep. Yep. Now, did you all, obviously the answer to this question is probably just sit down with them and ask them, but did you all have any exercises to help them realize what they were doing or help them guide them to what they should be thinking about for this? What did that look like? So um, the biggest one was I have a color coordinated graphic of my values, my wife's values, and then our family values, because each of us has different things. Turns out my number one value is growth. And her number three value is security. And it's like, oh, that's how we complement each other, right? She's like, don't do any investments. I'm like, hey, guess what? I bought a houseboat, you know, kind of like the Chip and Joanna gains. Like, like th those are complementary as opposed to, uh, you know, instead of, op you know, opposing, I like to call them complementary because it's like risk adverse, risk seeking, like we, we make a good. And then there's the family in the middle. And then what we're doing is we're adding theirs to the side. And so we're, we're saying like, okay, here's ours. Here's how it beats the family. And then we're going to add Ava's, then Logan's, then Williams. And so the, the question around that was getting, uh, if you're familiar with like the family board meeting, it's like giving them some space or some time and doing that. But a lot of it was just like, hey, we're sitting on the floor here. And she's like, hey, should we do some rules for life? And it was just the idea of like, hey, do you want to make up your own? And she's like, oh, I can do that. And so that one was less intentional, more spur of the moment. And I was like, yeah, we can create it on the computer. But but the whole reason that happened is because we allowed ourselves to get bored. The, mm -hmm. I, I feel like that it's almost impossible to do. Like it's always schedule this, then gymnastics, then swimming. And then you got to go to daycare. Then we got to do this. Like, nope, like get, 
get so bored with your kids that you find something to do. Like we were making Captain America shields out of like cardboard because like, and, and to be honest, I try to be a full-time dad. I can't do it. I got to work because like the mental, you know, intellect, but like, it was so fun to figure that out as an engineer. It's like, Oh, I should be, you know, more present as a dad. And I was like, Ooh, what would it look like to be on the other side of a full-time dad? And it was fun to see like, once you open that door, you're like, Oh, there's a whole bunch of other doors. And am I really that good at, you know, patience with young kids. And so I was like, Oh, what's this, what's kind of this healthy balance. And I, I, I coined this five, four, three, two, one rule where it's 50 hours of sleep, 40 hours of work, 30 hours of family time, 20 hours of miracle morning. And then you have 10 hours. So that's roughly like 150 hours a week. And I was like, if I fit within that five, four, three, two, one framework, like my time is generally allowed to something that, that helps Adam thrive. But I kind of went out, went off on a tangent there. Yeah, I might steal your five, four, three, two, one uh, framework there. I love that. But if a certain interviewer on this podcast or host of this podcast wanted to see kind of what that looked like, do you have those posted your rules everywhere and how you were mentioned on the side and everything like that? I am slowly building up the content. It's all in Loom right now and I'm leaking it out to YouTube. But right now, engineeringrei.com is where I've started framing some of that out on what that's going to look like, either a community or some coaching or different things. And so it's, it's, it's in development, but I realized like for a long time, it was, you know, get into real estate and it's like, okay, yeah, we took care of our family. But then it was like, Ooh, what, who is one person that Adam can uniquely help? And it's Adam three to five years ago. And I was like, I, I could pull, I could pull up a journal article where I was just like questioning everything in life. Like my toddler hates me. How come I can't connect with this human being? Like what, what's wrong with me as a dad? Because like sleep's off, my health's off. Like I'm trying to figure out, does it work? And then I'm blaming my wife because she's not, you know, picking up the slack or really just my own insecurities. Oh, and then we're pregnant, you know, with, with a newborn baby. And it's like, I was like, what is this? I was like, and then some, at some point it was like, okay, instead of this being the hardest time in life, like what if this was the greatest time in life? I'm building a business. I have the opportunity to like frame like these wonderful human beings. Like our marriage is going to be the, the foundation of this is like when times are tough, like how you fight matters, not how much you fight. I remember the, the Gotham Institute doing like the study. It's like, not if you fight, it's how you fight. So then it's like, oh, cool. Like let's learn how to do that. And so getting to that point of like, oh, this morning, my wife and I went on an hour walk and talk outside, like just hashing out stuff, planning different things that 30 minutes to an hour walk and talk now three or four times a week is, is like something so core to like how healthy our family is going to be. That is impossible with us both working the, our, our past engineering jobs. And so like as encouragement and a lot of people enjoy what they do, but like, if they're specifically looking for like, Hey, if I could work 30 hours a week instead of 50 or 40, instead of 60, like just to like, Ooh, what if, what would an hour look like with my spouse or significant other? Like that, that is like just so fundamental. Like you're moving, you're connecting, you're talking about issues in a healthy, not like it's five o'clock. You got to feed the kids. Everybody's in a poor mood. And then you like snip at each other and be like, well, I, you didn't pick up the mail or you didn't take out the trash. And it's like, all right, this is not a healthy way to, yeah. to go about it. Yep. Well, uh, you probably don't get too often to go for those hour long walks living in Fargo, North Dakota. So I'm sure you cherish the time when you're able to do that as well. It's like a whole new season here. You see the sun <laughs> and it's not 32 below. And it's like, man, you, you feel like you're, you're just born again. Yep. 
Yep. So you, you, you sound like a guy that's very uh, thoughtful in the way you try to approach things and this idea of reverse in investing or reverse engineering your life. Um, you came up with this concept called reverse investing and how you approached your real estate journey. Talk to us a little bit about what reverse investing is. And um, I got a couple of questions I want to ask from there. Sure. The the simple way is people first, property second. So instead of finding the property and figuring out the tenant that's going to live in it or who the end buyer is, we find whoever the buyer is going to be and then have them go identify the property. And that came about a couple of different ways because we kept trying to flip properties, hope there's a renter then, and then or hope that there's a buyer. And then, then we were buying like turnkey rental properties, but then you run out of capital because you're putting 20% down. And then it was like, okay, how, how do we, what would this look like? And then, you know, my buddy was like, Hey, I can't get financing, but you're an engineer and you can get a pre-approval letter in about 12 seconds. Um, what if you bought me the home and I just paid you and you, you leveraged your financing and I just paid you extra every month. I was like, Oh, this is genius. Like he's putting up all the money. I'm signing a piece of paper. And then like, I already have him and he's going to buy back the home after a certain amount of time. So it was like, oh, cool. Instead of like going on the MLS, searching for all these properties, our new target is finding those people that are one to three years away from a mortgage, pre-approving them with kind of some vet, vetted investor criteria. And then we're matchmaking those two individuals. So you get a, a doctor from California that's like, you know what? I would love to buy a property in Fargo, North Dakota for $200,000 that rents for $2,000 a month. And if I close May 16th, there's going to be tenants in there May 16th. Yeah. And if I don't close, you know, because they don't show up, like I'm out, no money. The tenant buyer puts in the money, pays for the inspection. It's still the appraisal. And if the tenant buyer, in which case we call the tenant buyer puts in 20% and the investor gets an 80% loan to value, we've done deals where like, there's literally no money exchange, but you're almost just like, almost like a glorified co-signer, but you're, you have this investor property, you have cash flow, you don't have the vacancies. And then a lot of the repairs are on the tenant buyers. And so that was our strategy. And there's some big companies doing it like Divi Homes or Home Partners of America, where they call it, you know, lease with the option to buy. And they're doing thousands of these. We just happened to find this market in the Midwest. And those companies are in like the major metros, but they don't offer it up to individual investors. You know, they have these big hedge funds or they get these angel investors. So what our goal was is, man, the number one thing that I wanted was cash flow. So the goal is how do you create the highest cash flowing asset available to dads or investors? Because wealth creation is certainly one good way. Like you can do multifamily syndications, which are great. You know, you get the 2X multiple over a period of five years. But for me to get that time freedom, it's got to be the cash flow. And so I wanted someone, as soon as they put in money, they're getting cash flow. And you can do that in certain, you know, vehicles. But I was like, but the, you know, the tax benefits of real estate, the risk versus the reward, how much security you have. And so that's where we've then moved into that. And that's all we do now. So let's walk through a couple of different pieces of this. First and foremost, how do you find your tenants? Like, how do you find the person, the, the people portion of this equation? Turns out there's 140,000 people searching rent to own every single month into Google. Wow. Did not know that. Okay. It's a, like, I, I was shocked. And so all we're doing is simply tapping into that and then advocating to real estate agents. They're like, Hey, is your client not pre-approved? We'll buy the home using our LLC. You can still get this client into a home. And so then real estate agents start promoting it or loan officers that can't close a home. But a majority of it is just, you know, online advertising, being pretty smart with that, and then finding referral partners to get these people. But it was like, I, I forget the, the, the number, but like, there's not too many search words besides trending ones that are much higher than that. And it's because there's like 
3 billion people denied a bank loan every single year. And it turns out people really want a house. And there's some people that like me that, well, I quit my job. And so now my adjusted gross income, technically, because I'm not a civil engineer, credit unions, banks won't touch me, even though I'm making more money now. But on paper, I look like dog crap because I don't pay any taxes. But they're like, oh, it turns out you need two years. And it's like, oh, well, it turns out like I literally need our own program and I need someone who's got a W-2 job. If they're like, oh, I trust Adam, I'd buy a house from him. He's going to make a payment. And so that's why we go through like condition, location, the tenant buyer profile, credit score, like debt to income. Like we still screen all that. And it's just a matter of, okay, if they're riskier, they put more money down, just like a bank would. Like I, I kind of joke, like anybody that's going to put 20 to 30% down on a home, if you give me your name and a signature, I'll buy the house for you, right? Like there, yep. there's almost very low risk of like that going bad if they're going to move into the house when you're buying something 70 cents or 80 cents and it's on the MLS. So like you get an inspection report, you know the foundation. It's not like you're buying them sight unseen. So that was the model that we wanted to then share since that allowed us to quit our jobs, even because that's what we wanted. Um, first, it was just to supplement some income just so we could go down to 30 hours. Then I went to 20 hours. Then it was like, oh, cool. I really enjoy this. Now it's both quit our jobs, me and the co-founder. And so now it's helping other people do the same. Yeah. I think when I hear, does it qualify for a mortgage? A lot of people out there will think, oh, that must be a risky borrower. But let me go ahead and say, there's a lot of people that are un quote unquote unbankable in our country. They could be um, uh, people that are working a W-2 job who might not make enough money or might not uh, have the right paperwork, haven't been in it long enough, or more importantly, there's probably a lot of people that are business owners, gig workers who make fantastic income, but because their tax situation, they claim a lot of losses, they claim a lot of depreciation, all that sort of stuff, don't file that they make a ton of money. And so when I'm immediately thinking of rent to own, yes, there's going to be a portion of the people that you find that probably don't qualify and wouldn't qualify through your program either, but there's probably a ton of people that are very, very accredited borrowers, but they fall out of this little checkbox that the banks want to see. And then two things to that. So we started a podcast called Pre-Approve dedicated to the rent to own tenants because I feel like they're getting screwed. Somebody be like, oh yeah, just give mm -hmm. me 10 grand down, sign this piece of paper in a year, I'm going to kick you out. And then I'm going to take another 10 grand and I'm going to go do the whole, the same thing all over again. And so we're really dedicated, put about like 50 episodes out of like what rent to own is, what's the problem? Why is it scams? Why has it got a bad rap? Here's all the reasons why. And like maybe why you should or shouldn't get a rent to own. Like if you can wait, get a bank loan, fantastic. Like recently became a loan originator myself just so that I can understand the process. And even not only that, but as people get into rent to own, actually qualify them and then put them into a traditional product. So they have a higher level of success. So like right now, 80% of our people have bought back the home, which like compared to the national average of like 10% That's is high. Yeah. shockingly different, even though, but we haven't done a ton of volume. So that number's a little bit, you know, from a marketing number, like is good, you know, to say, but like we're, we're fairly new. And then number two, one thing I didn't notice is like, okay, what do banks do? Oh, they get private mortgage insurance. So what we do is we have the tenant buyer purchase what's called rent guarantee insurance. Had no idea that existed, but this is just us being problem solvers. Turns out there's three different companies that you can purchase rent insurance that if they default, they'll pay you for six months of lost rent plus wow. eviction and up to $1,000 of repair costs. So now we're like, oh, we can just like literally act like the bank. So if they default, which is the worst case scenario, not only do you have 10% down, but now you got this insurance you know, cause they're riskier. And so like, man, this is why I love real estate. I was like, I had no idea that rent guarantee insurance, but I was thinking the same thing. Like these are riskier. Like what do the banks do? And I was like, oh, can I put private mortgage insurance on a renter? They're like, no. And so then we went through and we found um, the three are the guarantor, um, 
leap easy. And then single key is moving from Canada into the United States. And um, if you just Google those, you can learn more about them, but like different property managers can use that. But um, uh, for, for single family, for multifamily, it just, and the insurance companies are probably going to win in the end, but like specifically for our, for peace of mind, because they are higher risk, it's a no brainer for us and it smooths everything out. How much does rent guarantee insurance costs? Just rough estimate. We're not getting a quote here. I would say per $2,000 of rent paid, $83 a month. Gotcha. So uh, right under 5%. Yep. Gotcha. And and the reason why I ask is because uh, I'm talking to more and more property managers who offer this rent guarantee insurance or program where they're charging you extra percentages. So I'm just doing some math in my head on... I bet they're making a little profit and a little spread on that. Oh, sure. And 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 different there's there's some that are like $40 a month if your clients meet above like a 620 credit score. And so uh, but that's in general what we've kind of seen um going through the process. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now I know we were talking beforehand that you are also um teaching a lot of dads how they can go invest in real estate and be more intentional in their life. Um, I think I saw on your website that you offer some sort of mastermind around that or classes around that. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, right now have a have a wait list that I'm just you know garnering different interest um, because it is it is fairly new. The idea is, hey, what would it look like if your social media feed was like, here's the tips of dealing with a three year old, like just like sometimes it's right message, right time, right person. Where like you just like, hey, turns out your three year old just wants you to label their feelings. Like turns out that works for my three year old. Awesome. Like oh, you're really sad that you hit your elbow on the door, and he's like, yeah, and then like gives a hug and like that's it. My daughter doesn't work at all, right? She'll just like turn you like a cat and like give you like a stare. I'm like, okay, well, wrong, wrong tool, wrong person type thing. And so the idea was crafting um, a community of dads specifically with young kids that are dealing with all the intricacies of real estate plus career plus marriage plus young kids and getting the getting them together in a community and then you know offering some one on one when someone's like, hey, can I get you for six weeks and let's sit down a couple times a week and like hash through like. I got all this stuff. Like I got no sleep. I got no health and like kind of doing more of a, of a deep dive into like, okay, where they want to go. And then trying to almost pull them up from like the I'm drowning to like, okay, this is possible and maintain. And then there's some people that want to thrive and do even more of like, I feel like things are good, but they could be better. Um, those are usually the two types of individuals that we got going on. That's awesome. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you might see my face on uh, reoccurring meetings there because I, I know we were talking beforehand. That's uh, how you balance all of that while be present and trying to be a good human to your um, kids. Is it, It's tough. And it's good to know that somebody's also going through the same challenges, specifically with real estate investing and working at W2 at the same time and et cetera, et cetera. So building out a key network there is interesting to me. I think what you said there too was just just knowing that you're not going through this alone and you go in there, like just when you hear someone else be like, oh, did your three-year-old like pour a bowl of cereal, stare you down, be like, don't you pour that out? And he just like pours it like right in front of your face. I was like, oh, were you in my house this morning? Like yeah. that exact same thing just happened. And so part of it's just like, okay, instant relief of like, good. It's like, not just me. Like there's a group uh, but then second part is like, okay, what are we going to do about it? Either just accept it or it's like, okay, so what are tools for acceptance and realizing what you can and can't control? But then like, there's really strategic things with like how kids' brains work and like, you know, don't give a kid a punishment that's like an hour later than what he did because the three-year-old, you know, can barely remember what they oh, did 10 seconds ago. And so it's like, unless you can do an instant punishment, don't even, don't even think about doing it later. Cause that, that just builds to resentment. Cause it's like, oh yeah, you know, you didn't behave in the grocery store. So you get no dessert tonight. And the three-year-old's like, 
I, I, you know, like you're playing a game of life and they're just like moving pieces around. They're like, yeah, I have no idea. Like what's good, what's bad. I know I can't do this. And it turns out that I, you know, just ate my supper, but now I can't get dessert. When previously you told me that if I don't eat my supper, you know, I can't get dessert. And so like, they get all different confused. And so mm-hmm. I got deep into like all like the, the books for young kids. And so I've read dozens and dozens of books and sometimes it makes you better. Sometimes you just like, you know, you get worn out and like the, some people say, oh, you should like, hit your kids. Cause like, that'll teach them like responsibility. And some of them are like, no, like your kids are the boss and they can rule it. And then there's like this nice happy medium where, um, you know, nobody's really figured it out. I like the, the famous quote of, um, you know, they figured stuff out when they stop writing books on it. Like nobody's writing yeah. books on math, but turns out people <laughs> are writing books on leadership, real estate, investing, parenting, health. And it's like, so it turns out we don't got any of that stuff figured out, but like, science like oh you don't see new books on it and you know so it's like once they as they're writing more books it's like oh we haven't figured it out yet yeah that's a that's an interesting quote to think about too uh like if they're not writing any books on they've figured it out yeah um well speaking of which i want to switch us now to our last round we're calling this the five toppings our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift um, so I'm going to, I'm going to probably play a little bit different because I think there's three different stages in life of like the beginning, the intermediate and the advanced. And so in the beginning, uh, one that I don't think is recommended enough is MJ DeMarco's the millionaire fast lane, which okay. is, you know, if you're in the thick of it and you're in the engineering, he talks about the sidewalk, the slow lane and the fast lane of, of, of the different ways you can do it. So that would be one of the books that as I was reading it, it, you know, in the, in the W2 world, like that one, that one hit really well on the balancing. And then he describes wealth in a really like healthy way of like, number one is health. Number two is relationships. And then number three is like freedom. And so like, that's how he describes wealth, but a really good book um, for kind of that specific um, realm. And then I'm going to cheat and go a second one, but Keith Cunningham's the road less stupid for any small business owner. Oh, he, he'll just like rent space in your brain with some really good questions that if you're just at the gym, like running or pumping some iron and he's like, yeah, what if all of your customers came by referral only? And you're like, oh man, That'd what if, right? Yeah. And then so, so yeah. he just challenges your brain on some different things. So th- those, those would be two if, I, if I'm cheating on the question. I like it. I like it. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits that you have? If you can go to bed with your kids at eight o'clock and then wake up super early. Oh man, that like, it, it seems hard. And like, but like you replace my eight to 10 of binge eating and Netflix with four to six of like, oh, I got to run. I did reading. I did journaling. I did exercise. I got an hour's worth of work done. And you do that for five days a week. You are a completely different human being. And I know there's like, oh, I'm a night person. or I don't get time with my wife or different things, but like, it was like the two most unproductive hours of my day to the two most productive hours of my day. And it was pretty easy. I'll, I'll read books and it'll literally turn off the lights and I'll fall asleep with my five and three-year-old. And when I'm doing that, like uh, that's like Adam at his best. Don't set an alarm clock, wake up at four o'clock and like life is pretty, pretty darn good. Um, got a couple other ones. I don't know how, how much time we got or if I should, if I should keep, keep jamming. No, I, the only thing I would say on that is, um, I'm a big proponent of waking up early. I typically wake up at like three 45, four o'clock every single morning. Um, because of what you just said, it's peaceful time. It's quiet time. And I get a lot done during that time. And I know people are out there hearing three 45, that it's crazy. How in the world do you do it? I did it 15 minutes at a time. Like I started at six o'clock. 
then 5.45, then 5.30, and you just kind of walk yourself back months over months and years over years for me to where it happened. So if you hear that and you're like, I could never go to bed at eight, uh, we're a 7.30 bedtime at, at this household. 8.30 is extremely late. If I go to sleep past nine o'clock, I'm a very grumpy person the next morning. Um, but just start small and work yourself back is the only thing I would add there. 100%. Um, and then the added dichotomy of young kids of like, who, how much are they sleeping? And and there's different seasons of like, yeah, like you got no sleep. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense to sleep into six or seven o'clock. So, like, right. but like in general, like there's those different seasons, but like, if you can, if you can strive for that, yeah, I, I would, I, I would second that just a little bit at a time. Our third one is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? My dad, when I was 13, he said, make money with your mind, not your hands. Love it. And is he, that is he from North Dakota? He is. Okay. And yeah, there might be like, oh, you see that guy working construction, you know, out there in that steel beam when it's like 20, 20 below and hard hats and like all this winter gear. He's like, he might think that's fun in his twenties or thirties. Cause I want to be outside your body. will break down. You do different things. And he's like, yeah, just because you can make money with your mind and you can do it forever. And that really, that really stuck with me. Um, and I realize that there's a lot of people that enjoy like, you know, physical labor or, you know, maybe, maybe athletes or different things that physically, you know, need their body. For me, it was that, that was something like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to invest in my brain. And if I happen to use my body, you know, doing this, maybe, you know, just, you know, on a zoom call or different things, but man, the mind can, the mind can work some magic. Yeah. I worked uh, construction for my dad's company one summer and that was enough for me. <laughs> just or, got it right out of you. Yep. Our fourth one is what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Th this one will be a little bit controversial. I believe that I should listen to my wife most of the time, but I also believe in the biblical principle that I get the final say of leading the household. If it really came to it, I've only played the trump card two times in our marriage in, in seven, almost eight years. And one of them was to get into real estate investing. And but so my, my best decision was to marry my wife. That was by far easily number one. Um, but if you're looking for a, for a, for a, a, a maybe a, a different answer. So like she, she's, she maybe start caring about other people, got married. She's an like the best thing that ever happened to me, the kids, the family, like easily number one was marrying my wife. But a, a number two, if it's a little bit more exciting was like, have you ever had that battle where you're like nine times out of 10, I can see it or 99 out of a hundred. But like, there's one thing where I'm like, this, I believe in so much that I'm like literally playing the Trump card. And like, we were pulling up carpet on a Sunday night on our very first rental in 2012. And like, we're never doing this again. Right. Like we're, we're like, this is the opposite of time freedom. Like we're losing our Sunday. Like the tenants are destroying the place. Our property value is going down, but it was like, okay, how, like, think of the long game. How are people doing this? I could try the business. I could try engineering. We could do the slow lane as, as MJ DeMarco puts in his book, but I was like, there's a better way. And I'm willing to commit to this. And if, and if you trust me, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to take no, like this is, this is not, not necessarily a deal breaker, you know, at the time, like I'm not going to threaten divorce, but there was like something where like, we had very heated arguments of like, why are you buying a rental property? And I had to be really strategic with standing the ground on that one. So number one was, was her. And then number two was picking the, maybe the one battle that I think is worth fighting for and then sacrificing the rest because most of the time she's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our fifth and final one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? It'd be Martin Luther King Jr. 
I heard okay. his autobiography and just, you know, judging people, you know, by the content of their character and just all his different leadership, um, you know, principles and axioms. Um, I just think that there was a lot of great life lessons in here. And, and again, no one's perfect, but just the ability to courage leadership at a tumultuous time and like, you know, what kind of charismatic leader and follower and what he's trying to do. And so if that's, you know, Adam, the equivalent of abortion, or if that's, you know, the equivalent of something that you care about and, you know, how can I take care of my family and, 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 you know, be a great leader. Um, I just remember being really inspired by his autobiography. Yeah. I have a list of like five to 10 people I would answer for that question. And he's on there um, specifically because you mentioned what he did was not easy. He's very charismatic, obviously. Um, obviously, there's some things that have come out since he's passed that are less than stellar. But I look at my life and I have some things in my life that I regret and are less than stellar as well. But it's mainly because I felt like he was flexible in his strategies. He was always willing to adapt to the time to be strategic and what is the long-term vision. And I think that's really hard when you're a very dominant personality who's very passionate about an end state. Most people in that position say, this is the only way. And I felt like he just kept a very clear vision on what he wanted in the end and was flexible with how he was going to achieve it. Well said, well said. Well, Adam, fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about you, where's the best place we could point them? Sure. If you're interested on the on the dad front, it's engineeringrei.com. And if you're interested on the rent-to-own investment side, it's homeequitypartner.com slash investors. Perfect. We will link those in the show notes. And then Adam, thanks for coming on the show. This has been awesome. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.